the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. COVID is just kind of the, the whole Omicron variant. It feels like it is uh, it is going like a tidal wave through unvaccinated people, vaccinated people, young and old. Uh, it's pretty crazy, Aubrey, to the point that you and I were talking off air uh, at my church where I pastor. I have heard of more positive cases in the last, say, week and a half than I have heard in the two years combined before that. It's really going crazy. Is that what's kind of going on in your world as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, we know nationally it is breaking records right now. The coronavirus, you know, daily toll that keeps coming in is just like, again, today broke a record, tomorrow broke a record, the next day broke a record. But even at our church, we ended up going online on Sunday because there were so many of our staff members, our key volunteers, our worship leaders that either had COVID or were exposed to COVID. Now, thankfully, for those who have been vaccinated, it doesn't seem like the cases are all that horrible. But certainly we're like, no, how are we here again? Exactly. It's like a deja vu. What's going on? It's so true. And uh, I do want to talk about what do we do now? Because we're not in March of 2020. It's a very different time. Like We don't need to shut everything down. But uh, but Aubrey, with that in mind, uh, you texted me and said that your school yes. kind of preemptively, proactively, your kids' schools, I should say, uh, did something that I haven't heard of any other schools doing, my kids' schools or any of them in the area. Uh, you said your school went remote, which really surprised me. So two-part question, why did they do that? Kind of what was the uh, communication like? And what did you feel when you when you heard that your kids were going to spend their first week after Christmas break remote? Well, I mean, a few other, a few things went on in my brain. I was a little bit surprised they went remote because none of the other school districts around here have. So part of me was like, is this a little bit extreme? But apparently they had all of their teachers, faculty, staff, et cetera, get COVID tests before they came back today. And enough number of them tested positive that they just made the decision, hey, Mm. for the sake of everybody, we're just going to stay remote this week. We'll be back next Monday. That's what I'm praying. Um, so, you know, it's a bummer because I, I don't love remote school. I wish my <laughs> kids were in school, but at the end of the day, I'm glad they're taking their health seriously. I'm glad, you know, as crazy as it, as it is, we're in a situation where they can just go remote. They're not missing any school. It's not ideal, but at least, you know, they're not at home doing nothing. And hopefully this actually quells some of the crazy surge that we're having in West Chicago school district right now. I think my big fear, Brian, is that this is the rest of the year. I don't Mm. think so. I really don't. I think this was a, you know, erring on the side of caution kind of decision. But the first time, as soon as I opened the text message from the school, I went, oh, no, this is the beginning of the end. And then I thought, well, I'm taking my kids. We're going to go to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope this is just, you know, out of an abundance of caution, something this week, and we'll be back, you know, 
on point in school on Monday. Yeah, it's just so hard that we're having to use that phrase again. Uh, Let me give you some stats for those of you who are stats people. This is out of the Chicago Tribune. Uh, It says one way to look at this is by comparing the surge with the fall 2020 surge. As of Thursday, the average daily case count was 48 percent higher than last fall's peak. So that's the crazy side. But then listen to this. The average daily hospital admittance, as measured by federal data, was down 23% from last fall's peak. And there were 65% fewer average daily deaths. And this seems to be what people are finding, Aubrey, right? It's the Omicron is, uh, is less, it's people are saying it's not fun. You don't want it. It's knocking people out, but it's generally knocking people out like an awful cold, a head cold or, Whatever else. And again, I've been talking to people who have it and they're just like, I'm exhausted. And so none of this is to like say, oh, this isn't a big deal. Right, right. But at the same time, especially for those who are vaccinated, it appears that the risk of of hospitalization and the risk of seriousness is much lower. Again, if you're immunocompromised, if you've got underlying conditions, if you're not vaccinated, that might be different. But how does that change things for you, Aubrey? Like I'm having a hard time going, Okay. We need to be wise, but I, I don't know. I probably fall in a little bit of the camp of like, I'm just going to keep going. And if I get it, I get it, which sounds really just to even say it sounds really um, kind of crazy. But I don't know. It feels like people are just at a different spot right now. And it almost feels like you can be at a different spot right now because of those stats that I read that like, especially when you're vaccinated, it's just different right now. So what's kind of your posture right now? Well, I know, you know, I know there are different experts on each side of this, but I, what I have heard and what I'm hopeful for is that because of this variant specifically, this is sort of the beginning of the end, meaning COVID's moving from a pandemic to an endemic. So it becomes the thing that we just sort of live with, like the cold, like the flu. You don't want to get it. You certainly want to avoid it as much Mm -hmm. as possible. You want to get the vaccines. You want to make sure you're smart about spreading germs, et cetera. But it doesn't become the life or death fear that it has been over the past couple years. Now, certainly, like every other, you know, Every once in a while, someone who is ill or aging Mm -hmm. does end up dying of the flu. So we're, you know, we're not being callous about this. We're not being like careless. But I do think you're right, Brian, that the signs are pointing to this because Omicron is less severe and because there's more and more people who are vaccinated. This does become the thing we kind of keep going with, learn to live with rather than constantly being so afraid of and stopping everything about. That's my hope. I, you know, I want to be careful. I do have an autoimmune disease. I do have underlying conditions. That said, I'm vaccinated and boosted. So I am trusting that I've done what I need to do. I'll wash my hands. I'll wear my mask. (laughs) But I, you know, Kevin and I, it's our 21st anniversary this week. We're going to go out and celebrate, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm with you. Like, let's be careful. Let's be cautious. Let's care for other people. But I, like, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we're doing lockdown again. That feels extreme at this point. That's why I was actually surprised. And it's interesting to hear how you said they got there because I was surprised to hear your school even. I, I feel like there's just not a lot of appetite for closing schools. And yeah, closing I was surprised closing. too, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was surprised by it. Let me just kick off the new year by saying this again as your, <laughs> as your radio pastors and as other <laughs> things. Be this, especially you, the Christ follower, a reminder that this is going to this is going to bring up a lot of things for people. Some people are going to be like, I'm shutting down other people. This is craziness. Keep living your life. This just don't be a jerk about it. There you go. Just 
it, we, this has been our common refrain here at the common good for two years now of, of COVID is, uh, this, you can disagree without being disagreeable and mm. don't be uh, a jerk about this. Um, show each other grace. Let's put it that way and watch out for those people, uh, who may be struggling right now. How can you yeah, reach okay. out and, and again, show grace. So. 2020, 2021, now 2022. COVID is part of our reality. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh, something tells me, Aubrey, this won't be the last time we have to talk about this. So I think uh, you're right about that. Uh, coming up, there is there is a uh, big March for Life Chicago happening on Saturday, January the 8th, being put on by a group called We Dignify. Their executive director, Kevin Grillo, is going to come and join us next as we talk more about the March for Life Chicago. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And uh, one of the things we love talking about here on The Common Good is uh, is the pro-life movement and what is being done specifically in the Chicagoland area uh, to kind of advocate for the for the unborn and to kind of move that message forward. And with that in mind, Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the executive director of an organization called We Dignify, uh, his name is Kevin Grillo. Kevin, how you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Brian. Happy New Year. Yeah, to you as well. Uh, hey, before we get started talking about the March for Life, what I'd love to hear about is your organization. Can you tell us what it is that your organization does? Absolutely. We Dignify got started out of a college dorm room and has grown immensely since that time. And what we do is lead the Midwest and we lead students to change hearts and save lives. Mm. The way we do that is through an on-campus mentorship program, uh, in, uh, mainly based out of the University of Illinois, and then it has expanded since then, and also by organizing the March by Chicago. So, Kevin, we are so excited to talk to you about the March for Life Chicago. Can you give us some details and, and tell our listeners what they can expect? Absolutely. This is grown into, uh, we started as 150 people on the sidewalk, has become the largest march in the Midwest. So you can expect thousands of people in downtown Chicago. It's returning to the streets of downtown. There's a rally, there's a march, there's a convention with educational breakouts, and it's jam-packed day on Saturday the 8th. Again, the March for Life Chicago is on Saturday, January the 8th. And uh, Kevin, before we get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it and what people can expect on that day, let me just ask, let's get a little more foundational. Why should people care? Like, why uh, why be a part of the march or why even give this sort of energy? Help people answer that question. Absolutely. I mean, the governor of Illinois just signed the repeal of parental notification, which has, is moving Illinois to be the most radical place in the Midwest. And as a result, people are driving to Illinois for abortion. So if you want to stand up in a place that's most needed and the pro-life message is most needed and present, it's in the downtown in the streets of Chicago. So if you're thinking about, man, I'm uncomfortable because it's a little chilly outside right now. Yes. I need to brush aside some of that discomfort <laughs> because right now what is quickly happening is that really Illinois is becoming a terrible place for to be a preborn child in the world. And if you want to find a, a clear and present way to respond, to step up for them and to stand up for them with a march that celebrates life, then coming on Saturday is really important. Mm. 
And Kevin, can you describe the energy at the march? I mean, that's so many people gathered together in the heart of the city. Pro-life people feel very passionate about what does it feel like being there? I remember the first time we walked down the streets of Michigan Avenue a couple of years ago and to hear the pro-life voices echoing. I mean, there's drums going, there's young people singing and celebrating and raising up a voice that's echoing off of skyscrapers. The energy is palpable. People are, are seeing each other. They're, they're, some were dancing for joy when they <laughs> saw each other. There's a message that brings forth because life is such a beautiful thing that when people come together to stand out for that, there's a tremendous energy to be involved in it. Interesting. And Kevin, uh, what's the day look like? So somebody says, I want to be a part of this. Give us the the times. Where do they go? And you said there's other things besides the march going on. So if you could for us, just paint a picture of that day for people who want to be involved. Absolutely. Your day might look like at this point, people are traveling in from as far as Western Iowa or Eastern Ohio. And so your day might look like you stay at the hotel at the convention center on the Hilton uh, on Michigan Avenue and 720 South Michigan Avenue. And you wake up and you say, fantastic, let's get going. 8 a.m. doors open for the expo, which has over 50 pro-life organizations. You bring your diapers or your box of diapers to donate at that time. There's a place to drop off anywhere throughout the day. And then you have options at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. and 11 a.m for different free educational breakouts. After the educational breakouts, you grab grab lunch, maybe some box lunch on their way out. Then you head over to the plaza. At one o'clock, the program begins in the Federal Plaza, which is a short walk from uh, the Hilton over to Federal Plaza. And then you hear great speakers, this incredible message, several, it's a very diverse speaking lineup. Pastor Chris Butler is speaking. You have Cardinal Supich is speaking. There's also um, Kelly Dore, who is a the founder of a human trafficking network, is speaking. There are quite a few different people speaking that you'll hear different reasons why so many people stand up for life. Then you'll set forth to march. And you march up through a main street in, in the loop. You come across and you come down Michigan Avenue back to the hotel where there's opportunities, again, for the expo to connect with people. You can drop your diapers off there if you're still marching around with them. (laughs) (laughs) And you can join us that evening also for a banquet program where we'll have a reception, a program, and then dinner option that evening. And Kevin, um, let me step back from the event for just a minute. You know, this issue of abortion can feel like such an uphill battle in Illinois. And I wonder if you just have any words of encouragement for our listeners who are really passionate about being pro-life. Being pro-life right now is a very exciting time because there's so much change happening. Mm. We're living in a time that I'm very acutely aware of the problems that are happening in Illinois and can hear that. and, And we we know it, which is actually what's driving us to get together and stand out more. But in the near future, we're going to see several different chapters occur that change things. And Illinois is going to be the place to be to raise a pro-life message and to raise your voice, because then it's, it's going to be the place that is most needed in the Midwest. Hmm. Hey, Kevin, before we let you go, We Dignify has something called the Seven Days to Living Pro-Life. Talk to us about that. How can it help? And just what is that program, Seven Days to Living Pro-Life? Program's a starter kit to get you going after the march. It's one thing to come down and get excited. And it's easy to be pro-life when you're surrounded by thousands of people. But then when you go back home, it, 
you need to step right into that in your daily life. We're actually launching a major initiative at the March that we'll discuss and unveil as to how we're going to involve thousands of people in living pro-life every day. Yeah. Uh, Again, the March for Life Chicago is on Saturday, January the 8th. Uh, there's a banquet. There's other events going on all weekend. Kevin, where, what's a website? Where can people go? Again, to, you, you told us you did a great job telling us what's going to happen, but where can people go uh, for a website? Is this something they have to sign up for or just show up? Just remind us of that. Absolutely. MarchForLifeChicago.org has all the information. If you want to join us at the convention, that is free and you just do need to register. There's a free registration option where the banquet is ticketed. So, but all the information is at marchforlifechicago.org. And we can't wait because Saturday is coming fast. That's right. March for Life Chicago, again, presented by We Dignify. The rally is at 1 p.m. at the Federal Plaza. The march is immediately following. You can find out more at marchforlifechicago.org. That's March for life, Chicago.org. Kevin Grillo is the executive director of We Dignify, who's, who's uh, kind of spearheading this and putting this on. So, Kevin, uh, good luck. And we hope it goes great. We really do appreciate your work and spending some time with us today. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Brian and Aubrey. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Uh, we are big New York Giants fans in our home, and so we went and sat in the upper deck in the freezing cold at the Chicago Bears-New York oh Giants game. Oh my goodness gracious, it was like... 15 degrees outside. It was freezing. And the Giants are like the worst team in the NFL right now, especially with their backup quarterback. So we knew they couldn't win, but it was really fun, you know, making memories, yeah, making memories. And so my son and I did that. And something interesting happened right before the game. They did right before the um, the national anthem. They did a moment of silence at uh, at the game for two people. One of them is John Madden. Most people out oh, there know yes. who John Madden is, yeah. one of the most famous announcers and also video game guys, right? But right. he kind of is the NFL announcer of the past 30 years. He passed away at the age of 85, I believe it was earlier, like kind of between Christmas and New Year's. But the other person they did a moment of silence for was a man by the name of Jeff Dickerson. And you told me off air you didn't know his story. So let me just briefly tell you the story Please. of Jeff Dickerson. Jeff Dickerson has been the uh, ESPN Chicago kind of uh, Chicago Bears guy for the last 20 years. If you ever listen to ESPN Chicago, you'll hear him host shows, but you also, whenever they talk about the Bears, they bring him on. He's kind of their Bears insider, their okay. Bears reporter. So a lot of people in the Chicago land would know the voice of Jeff Dickerson, and maybe you're like, I don't actually know uh, who he is, but oh, yeah, okay, that guy. Uh, a couple of years ago, tragically, Jeff Dickerson's wife uh, Caitlin, I believe her name, I could be getting that wrong. She passed away from after like a seven year battle with cancer and really sad. I remember it going on. It left Jeff Dickerson, uh, to raise his, uh, at that point, his nine year old son, Mm, I believe. Uh, well, earlier this year, nobody really knew this. They kept it. He kept it a secret, but he was diagnosed with colon cancer. Oh no. Uh, and it went up and down and tragically, uh, Two or three days after Christmas, Jeff Dickerson passed away <gasps> at the age of 44. No. Oh, that's Just so young. Just a tragic story, leaving an 11-year-old boy 
without either parent. And you're just like, how does this happen? And then, uh, so that's the tragic part of the story. Well, then a GoFundMe page was started for his son, like to mm, pay for stuff and to mm. set, uh, set him up. Uh, was started by, I believe, Jeff Dickerson's sister-in-law okay. with the goal of raising $100,000. And this just went viral. It went wow. viral because he was such a good sure. guy. People are like, sure. he was like salt of the earth guy. And uh, Aubrey, I'm looking at it right now. The goal was on this GoFundMe page to raise $100,000. It is now at $1,079,340. No at this exact moment. It has just gone crazy. That's amazing. And so people are like, man, this is like the goodness of yeah. social media. And yes. this is the good aspect of people caring. But it's also a reflection on a life well lived and cut mm. way too short. So I want to ask you two questions. Aubrey, I've been kind of obsessed with this story, reading it, just kind of reading yeah. the tweets. And there's been a couple different ones. And one I want to start pastorally with a really hard question. Uh, okay. One of the things that you read over and over and over again, people tweeting or in their messages is this is the most unfair thing I've ever read, ever mm. come across. He was yeah. an awesome yeah. dude. Uh, his wife was an awesome person, and now they have a son who lost not one but two parents to cancer in the mm. last two years. And really, the question I keep seeing is: there is this is completely unfair. As yeah. pastors, how do you deal with that question? Because I got to be honest, you read the story, and my first thought is: this is completely unfair. What do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, I you know, it, it's one of those things where in our in our kind of natural earthly human mindset, absolutely it feels unfair and unjust. Like we do live in a world where like a young boy being left uh, by two young parents to cancer is just not okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you never want to, we say this on the show a lot, you never want to rush over that and try to like, but blah, 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 blah. You never want to do that. You just want right. to stop and acknowledge like, yeah, that's awful. It's evil. It's the reality of of evil in this world. Cancel is, cancer is... I think one of the results of the fall, like yeah. it is not good. Um, but I think if we can step back, maybe I should say, and I think if we can step back and try to see things from a spiritual or a, um, you know, supernatural perspective, there's a few questions we can ask. I think one is even in our sense that it is unjust and wrong. Mm -hmm. There's something in that that points us to God, because how do we know that it's unjust and wrong? What, mm. By what standard are we measuring that? Well, that's a standard that life should be different. And we know that the one who makes life different is God. And the one who ultimately will answer these questions of how could this happen is Jesus. And so I think one, we can let it point us to the cross. I think two, the other thing that we have to step back and see is that I don't know how to explain this, and I wish I didn't have to explain this, but the reality is God does beautiful things in suffering, mm. and he is not going to let this young man go. And there are going to be things about his story, his pain, his suffering that will develop character, compassion, goodness in his story um, if he allows God to move as he gets older, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not right. saying it's right, but I'm saying if we can step back and see with a supernatural perspective, we will see that God is somehow going to use this and do something remarkable in it. Again, that doesn't take away the pain, but both things can be true. The pain and the fact that God is here. Yeah, that's helpful. That is really helpful because again, you read the story and you go, 
There's no fairness in this. And I think we as Christians have to go, yeah, it's not fair at all. And that points us to Jesus. That doesn't push us away from Jesus. Uh, What I would also say is um, one of the things I've been struck about, why I think there was so much money raised for him, besides just the awfulness of the story and people wanted to raise up, but also the the tributes that are being made is, we've said this often on the show, live your life as you want to be remembered. Mm. Uh, he, this was an awesome dude. Like everybody who talks about him says he was salt of the earth. Wow. He was, he was like always the first one to, to care for other people, even when his wife was dying, even when wow. he was sick. And so the tributes are natural and they are authentic, right? Like if you want to be remembered in a certain way, like be that person now. Yeah. And, and that truly seems to be p- playing out here. And the last thing I would say is we need to be praying for this boy. Like absolutely, uh, no amounts of millions of dollars at all is going to be enough to say, oh, it's okay that his mom and exactly. his dad died. His name yeah. is Parker Dickerson. Uh, Parker Dickerson. And I, mm. he said, as far as I can tell from the articles I've read, he's surrounded by a lot of family, aunts and uncles, grandparents, mm. all of that. But none of that replaces your parents. Absolutely not. And so I would encourage people, you could go find the GoFundMe page. But beyond that, I'd encourage people to be praying for this 11 year old boy. Like, how do you process that? Right? Like, how yeah. in the world do you process that? So uh, as Christians, we can be, even if you don't know the family, we can be praying. So uh, you could Google his name, Jeff Dickerson, and read the trip. Read the story, see the GoFundMe page. It really is remarkable and challenging for us about how we want to be remembered. Well, speaking of being remembered, there was a an a uh, entertainment icon who we lost mm, over the last couple so days, sad. Betty White, just on the verge of her hundredth birthday. We're going to discuss that. I want to play a clip after the break in which she talks about. Uh, some of the uh, things that keep her feeling young. What what kept her feeling young even into her 90s? You're going to want to hear that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And uh, Aubrey, one of the things that happens around New Year's is often you remember those who have passed. You look forward to the year ahead. But right around New Year's, uh, we lost an icon. We yes. lost an entertainment icon uh, at the passing of the age of 99 and like so 11 sad. months. Oh. Uh, Betty White passed away. And it is interesting how... Um, Almost surprised people were that she passed away, even though she was 99 years right. old. Did you feel when I heard it? I was like, what? Betty yeah. White passed away. And then if you think about it, she's 99 years old, right. but there she's was 99. this kind of surprise, wasn't there? Well, I think part of it is everyone. I mean, even on Twitter, the last few weeks, people have been looking forward to her 100th birthday. And there were people like, come on, Betty, we just want to see you get to your 100th birthday. So I think part of it was the shock that it happened so close to her, you know, centennial celebration. And part of it is just she's so loved. Like, it just seems like America's grandma just died and nobody wants her sweet grandma to die. And so I I do think it was um, a surprise, kind of a sad day right at the holidays. But I think, of course, when you step back and go, okay, she's 99 years old. Like, she lived a a very full, long life. Um, That's a pretty sweet legacy in the end. Uh, I want you to hear this audio clip in which Katie Couric is going to ask Betty White, how do you keep feeling young even as you get older? Let's listen to that. A lot of people probably want to know 
what's your secret? What advice would you give to other people who want to have a rich, long life like you've enjoyed? When I pontificate, it sounds so, so, you know, oh, well, well, she's preaching. I'm not preaching, but I think maybe I learned it from my animal friends. Kindness and, and consideration of somebody besides yourself. And I think that that keeps you feeling young. I really do. All right, Aubrey, I think there's some sweetness, but also some simplicity to that. Betty White says, one of the what things that keeps me feeling young is to be kind and considerate of other people. It's to think of other people. It's to put others in front of myself. That sounds somewhat biblical to me, but uh, I thought the simplicity of that was beautiful. Betty White saying, hey, the less selfish I am, the younger I feel. Don't you think? I mean, I, I think there's something so it is biblical. And I love when biblical principles kind of work their way in real life. Like the fact that just being kind to another person kept her feeling young. I think there's so much truth to that. I was thinking too, I, I was listening to a, a stand up comedian recently who was talking about how in the last year, if she's learned anything, it, and it was negative, but she said, um, she said, Americans are unwilling to sacrifice. Like, you know, and she was really kind of talking about masks and some of that. She was like, we are just absolutely unwilling to put the other first. And this to me is an example of here's somebody who at least valued kindness, compassion and putting the other first. And that that was like the secret to her kind of feeling eternally youthful, even at yeah. 90 years old, even at 99 years old. And so I think just, you're right, like to think that the secret isn't that she was, you know, getting Botox or plastic surgery, the secret <laughs> is she was kind. And yeah. I do think there is something about that when we're, when we're unkind, when we're bitter, I do think it has a way of hardening us, hardening, hardening our hearts. And sometimes, I'm not saying this is true across the board, but you do see that a person becomes harder on the outside as well, that that ages them. Mm. And so to have somebody who just looks like she's full of delight, I'm sure she had hard days, but to, to, um, to say she owes it to just being kind. I, I love that. I think that's a beautiful example for all of us and an amazing legacy for all of us. Absolutely. I do think you're like, when, when we lose purpose, that seems to like age us very quickly, but also when life just becomes about yourself, Mm. Uh, because that's not how we were made to live. That's just right. not how we were made to live. Right. And, and we know that we were made to live by putting others in front of ourselves and living uh, and loving other people and watching for other people. Uh, in a very, in an interview at the exact same time, it might have been the same interview. She was asked if she was afraid of dying. And she said this again, it's, I don't know what Betty White's religious background was. I don't know if she was a follower of Jesus or not, but some of this just sounds so biblical. She says, Growing up, what she was saying, she's not afraid of dying. And she said, growing up, whenever we'd lose somebody, my mother would always say, now they know the secret. Her mm -hmm. idea was basically, we don't know what happens after somebody dies, but right after mm -hmm. they die, we could say, well, now they know. Aubrey, again, I don't know what her, her faith background is, but that's what we celebrate as Christians, isn't it? Like, no, now they know the reality of being yeah. with Jesus. Now they know something more. I, I just love that perspective right there. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I was actually, <laughs> I was actually just reading an interview with Keanu Reeves because then, you know, the new Matrix movie came mm -hmm. out and somebody asked him what he thinks about life after death. And he said, um, I have no idea. All I know is that those who are left behind are really, really sad. And okay, that's fine. I mean, that's a true answer. But to think, 
to kind of shift that perspective and nuance it the way Betty White did to say mm-hmm. she learned from her mom that like, no, when people die, they learn the secret that nobody else knows. There is something that makes death then um, mysterious in a good way, right? Like the secret and what we bank our our hopes in as as Christians is the secret is we're finally seeing Jesus face to face, right? Mm. Like finally we're going, oh, okay, all is well. And I I like that posture. I I like thinking about death as like, okay, they finally arrived. They know the secret. This is something to look forward to and not being not be afraid of, especially for those of us who are in Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Again, so many of us are fearful of death, and uh, I understand the unknown and this and that, but uh, I think Betty White, again, we don't know her faith background, but she highlights a really important point for Mm -hmm. us as Christ followers. Like, now we know. Like, there's a reality that we talk about right now that we point to, but is not yet realized. And and that's why we can – I've often said this to our congregation, Aubrey, that as Christians – um, at a Christian funeral, we mourn, we're sad, but I, I think the sadness is more for what we've lost and not what they've lost. And uh, that is a bit of a difference. So we wanted to kind of memorialize uh, Betty White and talk about those. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are so glad that you're with us this week. I know that a lot of people, Brian, and especially you as a pastor, are probably thinking through spiritual practices that you can lead your church in or lead your family in or that you're kind of practicing for yourself. So I I don't know, 2022, is there anything that you are taking on this year that you haven't done in the past in order to grow spiritually? I have failed them all already. (laughs) (laughs) And this Uh, is why we need Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. I One thing I did this year was I, and I don't know, we'll see how it goes. uh, I bought a different devotional for Christmas for everyone in the family. Oh, that's uh, cool. Myself included, just kind of going, okay, let's see if, uh, you know, if if putting something into our hands is it. Uh, I do think we joked about like um, showing yourself some grace because this is, I used to work, Aubrey, when I was in college, I worked at the Wheaton Sports Center when I was at mm. Wheaton College. And uh, every January, it was so busy there that we'd have extra staff and there would be lines waiting at different um, machines, right? Like at different uh-huh. exercise machines. And we all knew that by February the 1st, it would go back to normal. <laughs> wow. We just knew it. And I think that highlights what happens with kind of quote unquote New Year's resolutions is that we dive in. I'm going to read the Bible every day for this right. next 300. I'm going right. to do eight Bible plans. I'm going to read this book all of which are good. We need goals, but I think we have to walk a fine line of going, all right, this is who I am. Uh, This is who I've proven to be as a person. So how can I grow, but in a realistic way? Um, It's what I always tell people when I do their premarital counseling and they're like, we're going to pray together every day. And I go, do you pray together at all now? Never. All right. Maybe (laughs) shoot that goal for once a week. Maybe shoot that goal. So so I I do want to have some, some just, um, some realistic talk, right? Like just don't set yourself up for failure. But with that said, I do think uh, Bible reading plans, devotionals, these types of stuff where you could set apart time and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bite off this little chunk here uh, is a great goal to have. So anyway, that's my disclaimer about about New Year's resolutions. How about yourself though? 
I feel like that's not as much of a disclaimer as it is just good wisdom, because Mm. then I I do think we set ourselves up for failure. And then we're so discouraged come February that we haven't done what we set out to do. And then we just give up completely. So I, you know, last year, one of the goals that I had was to memorize more scripture. And so I, my goal was a verse a month, you know, because I was like, I can't do that. And rather than like every week, I'm going to memorize a new Bible. Well, that's, I will absolutely not do that. Now there are some achievers in this world who will make that happen. (laughs) But for me, I felt good. Like, and I, I'll be honest. I didn't get to 12. I did get to 10. There you so go. I feel like, hey, that's 10 verses I didn't have the year before. So hallelujah. That's a good one. I think for me this year, you know, we had a guest on a few weeks ago here on The Common Good who talked about monotasking. Do you remember this, Brian? Instead of multitasking, she was kind of challenging people in this sort of social media device age to monotask. Like what if when you're driving your car, you're just driving your car. You're yeah. not also returning text messages and phone calls and listening to a podcast and catching up on Audible. Or what if when you're with your family, you're just with your family. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I can even do an ounce of that, be mindful of that a few moments out of the week, then I have done something really remarkable in 2022. And I mean that like, you know, we talk a lot about the legacies that we want to leave, Brian, and you and I really value our time with our family. That's right. And I feel like, look, it is my son's second semester now of his freshman year. We've Mm -hmm. got three and a half more years with him at home if he goes to college, et cetera. And for all of my kids, like I just want to be present with them when I'm with them. So even last night, Kevin and I had, I had driven home from Oklahoma. It was a really long day. I was very tired. Um, But one of my sons wanted to play a little silly Christmas game that he got. Mm. And I was so set to not do that, like, or to do it while distracted. Do it while I'm catching up on my emails from being gone. Do it while watching a show that Kevin and I have been waiting to watch. And instead, I was like, nope, your goal is to monotask. You Mm. are going to play this game with your son. (laughs) So I mean, it was like 15 minutes, but it was so enjoyable. And I felt like, okay, I'm doing the thing that I have said to do. That's great. Um, by the way, that was Felicia Wu Song, who wrote a book called Restless Devices, if you're looking for a book in the new year. Um, anyway, over at Christianity Today, I bring this up because they mentioned 10 prayers for the new year. Mm-hmm. So if you are, you know, if 2021 was a year filled with trials and troubles, which it absolutely was, this author over at CT is saying, let's start this new one on our knees. And she gives 10 uh, things that we can begin praying about, Brian. And let me just read these to you and get your response. She says, pray for a fresh start. Pray for our habits. Pray for relational healing. Pray for the weary. Mm. Pray for the lonely. Pray for those suffering. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for our work. Pray for our Christian community and pray for our hands and our feet. And she actually has prayers, small prayers right. for each of those. So it's a really beautiful article. Did any of those really stand out to you? They all kind of do in different ways because they're not things that we normally pray about. I think this is a great reminder at the start of the year, the power of prayer and the, and the necessity of prayer. Uh, I was drawn to the weary one because so mm-hmm. many of us are weary. Like You and I spent the first part of the show today talking about here we go again with COVID. Here yeah. we go again with all these yeah. questions of what do we do and what do we not do? Uh, I think there's a lot of people listening who are uh, weary, who are lonely. And so 
uh, who are suffering. And so I yes. think to be able to be praying for those who are feeling that way and maybe praying for yourself if you're feeling that way, mm. I think a reminder of not just being, oh, I'm going to be weary. I'm going to yeah. be lonely. I'm going to be yeah. sick, but we can pray through these things and God works. So those kind of jumped out to me. They're all great, but which one jumped out to you? You know, I think going back to what I was saying about kind of monotasking and like being present where I am, the second one, which I'll actually end our time together by reading this um, this prayer, but it's a prayer for our habits. And here's what she says. This is the prayer. Lord, we confess that we spend much of our day thoughtlessly consuming the things around us. Our habits often lack intention and cause us to live distracted, self-focused lives. Would you bring to our attention the unhealthy ways we spend our time, energy, thoughts, talents, and money? Show us old habits to turn away from and new habits to practice. Shape us by your spirit into more merciful people who love you and neighbor with greater intention. Mm, That's good. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful one. When we return, we're going to be remembering the life of actually one of my husband's heroes, South African giant Desmond Tutu. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. Brian, we have just started the new year and already we're looking back on those we've lost. Earlier in the show today, we talked about the loss of Betty White. And I think if you and I were to go back and kind of think through our shows for the year, there've been a lot of Christian leaders that we've lost as well. We've talked, one of my first shows, we talked about Renee Padilla. We talked about uh, Luis Palau, mm-hmm. um, several other evangelical leaders that have been lost in 2021. And over Christmas break, uh, another just deeply influential leader, the Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was really... Um, deeply tied in leading South Africans' nonviolent struggle against apartheid, died at the age of 90. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer almost two years ago. And, you know, for, for my husband, Kevin, this felt like a real loss because he really looked up to Desmond Tutu. He's used Tutu as example in his sermons a lot and has read his book and was really, really moved by his life. And so I, I know a lot of people felt very connected to him uh, U.S. former U.S. President Barack Obama called Tutu a moral compass for him and for so many others, just in his fight for freedom and for justice and for liberation. And so, this is certainly a a big loss in our history. It feels kind of strange to be alive at a time when someone like Desmond Tutu died. Did you uh, follow this news story at all? A little bit. It's weird for me, like unlike what your husband, who who seems to have really kind of invested, I, I, Desmond Tutu. It's weird when he died. I was like, that's one of the names that I know. Like everybody knows mm. that name, but I had to go look up exactly mm. who he was. Like if you had been like describe what he was, I knew apartheid and all this stuff, but I didn't know he was necessarily an Anglican bishop and theologian, right? In South Africa, I didn't. I didn't know his role, and so that's part of it. When people die, you kind of go, okay, who were they? Like what? Uh, mm-hmm. How can we celebrate this person? And that was a little bit of it for me. But yeah, a life, again, we keep saying this today, and I do think it's important at New Year's to kind of look back and do those kind of things. But uh, he died the day after Christmas and um, to to go, okay, uh, a life lived as the bishop uh, for all those years who was fighting to um, to 
change things in South Africa, particularly around apartheid. I think it, he is worthy of us acknowledging and remembering and going, okay, uh, another life well lived worth holding up. Not to mention he was married to his wife for, if I'm doing the math here, 66 years. Amazing. Isn't so that amazing? Anybody who makes 66 years of marriage, I also think is uh, worthy of celebration. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a little bit of audio, the South African president talking about Desmond Tutu. I'd love for us to take a listen to that. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was without question a crusader in the struggle for freedom, for justice, for equality, and for peace. Not only in South Africa, the country of his birth, but around the world as well. Okay. I mean, like you said, such a such a remarkable life one, certainly worth remembering. One thing that I've always appreciated about Desmond Tutu is he was one of the first men in South Africa to um to ordain women in the church, in the Anglican church. And so he um the, the one of the very first women priests was ordained by Tutu. Her name was the Reverend Wilma Jacobson and you know, that really began to change the tide for South Africans Anglican church. So he was a man who was really for all people, for justice. He was um, definitely someone, you know, fighting, especially in the days of apartheid, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. fighting to bring an end to it and continued a life really uh, marked by justice and caring for those who really were the vulnerable in his community. So definitely, um, definitely someone to learn more about, definitely someone to think about when we think about our own legacy of Worse. Can I ask why your husband was so like I forget the word you used moved or marked by him? Yeah. What what I, I, you don't need to speak for him, but why no, it's Desmond a great Tutu? Question. You know, I I think for my husband Kevin, Kevin and I lived in Zambia for a year, and Kevin since that time, Kevin has been I think deeply moved by leaders who are uh, really really anchored in their countries or in their communities, but willing to be voices to stand against injustice while being anchored, right? Mm -hmm. So you see some people who remove themselves and then are like picking apart their country. But uh, Desmond Tutu was somebody who remained like deeply involved in South Africa while loving Jesus, being a spiritual leader to millions of people and also standing firm against the injustice in his country. Mm. And, you know, he won a Nobel Peace, Nobel Peace Prize. He was in all kinds of leadership positions, uh, commissions that sought to reveal the apartheid's atrocities. And for Kevin, who's always also been really passionate about racial reconciliation, especially in our country, Desmond Tutu is just sort of someone who, like, peacefully fought for reconciliation. And so there's, I think, a few layers why Kevin felt deeply drawn to him and has for a long time. So uh, again, I mean, I think this is a perfect time, like you said, the beginning of a new year to think about the legacies that we want to live. And some of us will be called to lead on really big scales to fight against injustice. And others of us will be called to do it in small ways in our mm -hmm. neighborhoods or in our families. But, um, you know, wherever God has put you, I do think it's important to ask yourself at the beginning of this year, like, what is the legacy I want to leave? What do I want to be remembered for? And is um, whether it's on a big stage like Desmond Tutu or on a small stage like somebody else, am I living the life that God has for me? And I, am I leaving behind a life 
that will impact others. Yeah. And it's worth reminding people who know his story. There are things theologically that I think you and I would disagree with Desmond mm-hmm. Tutu about as you read. Um, but I think it's a it's a helpful reminder that you don't have to agree theologically with everything, with everybody in order to uh, extol the work that they do or to work with them. Yeah, yeah uh, I think that's a healthy reminder. Sometimes we say, well, this person must be firmly entrenched in my tribe, right? Theologically mm. speaking in every way. And theology obviously matters greatly. Yeah. Uh, but but we can't be like, uh, here's my theological litmus test with somebody before I'll do uh, link arms with them to help our community, to help our neighborhood, to help our country or whatever else it might be. And so I think that's another important lesson. And I just love uh, I'll close my part with this. I think Desmond Tutu, it said uh, at the end, it just said uh, one of the articles I read said he was ready and willing, ready and uh, looking forward to going to be with God. Like at the end, like what a great way, what a great spot to get to at the end of your life to be like, you know what? Uh, I am ready and it is time. And so I, I appreciated that about him as well. Yeah. What a way to go. I feel like that's kind of the dream for all of us that we get to go when we are ready and that we feel like we're looking forward to something. And then instead of being afraid, I think that's that's a really cool that's a really cool way to die. Um, I love that. Thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Well, coming up next, it's a new year, and we're going to hear some encouragement from Dr. Tony Evans. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and it is the end of our first show of the new year. And at the end of every show, we'd love to send you home with something encouraging, inspiring, or challenging. And, you know, Tony Evans, someone we've had on the show, someone mm-hmm. we both really love to learn from. I can, I feel like I can say that for both of us, Brian. No doubt. Just a great preacher, a man of God, someone of integrity. He preached a New Year's message for 2022 that I feel like is a word for all of us. Mm -hmm. So what I thought we would do is honestly just sit back and let Dr. Evans preach to us for the next couple minutes, and then you and I will recap and respond to what he has to say. This is a message about when it feels like we are in the middle of the storms, what in the world is God doing? Let's go ahead and take a listen. Sometimes it feels, you know, and I know the feeling that you dial in heaven and the line is busy. (laughs) It looks like, feels like God has gone on a vacation and has left us to fend for ourselves. Finally, we look like we were, things were getting better and here we go, another variant, you know? Uh, And it looks like God is asleep. Well, they, they aroused him, it said, and said, don't you care? Don't you see our fear, our pain? Don't you see the, 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 struggle we're facing right now and you you say nothing in fact you're snoring you're asleep we're bailing out water then jesus said um uh, why are you so timid when they woke him up from his sleep why are you so timid that's almost like asking a swimmer who gets out the water why are you so wet i mean you know isn't it obvious jesus given what we're going through we're trying to cross over and we're in trouble we're trying to cross over from 21 to 22, yeah, and we are in trouble, okay? Then Jesus Christ looked at nature and said, peace be still. Jesus Christ looked at nature, looked at the circumstances, and said, peace be still. 
Well, now, if he says peace be still, that must mean peace was moving because he told peace to be still. When you are in the will of God, you're in the safest place to be even when you're in the midst of a storm. If they would have really remembered what Jesus said, what did he say? He said, let us go to the other side. He didn't say, let us go halfway and drown. He said, gentlemen, we're going to make it, but we're going to have some trials as we try to make it. And I'm going to sleep. I suggest you get your pillow and go to sleep with me. In other words, he calls them timid because they forgot his word because of how big the circumstances were. I am not undermining the circumstances, family, friends. I'm not saying this isn't serious. I'm not saying we shouldn't be cautious. I'm not saying we shouldn't be deliberate in what we do and the decisions we make. I am saying if you are living your life in the will of God, and if we are living our lives in the will of God, then this is the opportunity to see God at a whole nother level. This storm we are in, not only the medical one, but anyone that's affecting you right now, is an opportunity to see the God of nature, because nature is going crazy right now, just like that storm was in Mark 4, to see God rule and overrule our circumstances and meet us in the midst of it. Okay, so I mean, I, what I, here's what I love about Tony Evans. I mean, a, a number of things, but he's able to take these uh, spiritual truths, these scriptural stories, and really like bring them down to the real world. And I felt like this is very true. Like we are in a storm right now, mm-hmm. but this is an invitation to see God's authority and God's rule over our circumstances. What did you think about this message, Brian? Uh, as we've said many times on this show, love Tony Evans and just what kind of the uh, he could kind of cut to the heart of it. Right. And so yeah. I do think we go from 21 into 22. Many people out there scared like COVID mm-hmm. is raging again. And yep. uh, we go into it scared. You go into it uneasy or maybe you're not even scared, but you're just tired, like just mm. weary of it all. And I think he's a uh, reminder here that God, the God we serve is the God even over creation. And you know, the broken creation of which COVID is a part of that, that God is not like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to stop this variant? Like God is in control. Uh, he is present. Uh, he, and and uh, Tony Evans's point there about the safest place and the best spot you can be is in the heart of God's will is in the center of God's will. And and then he also goes on to say, and I think this we cannot say this enough to ourselves and to people in our churches and in our families. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. Mm. We know how it's all going to end, but yeah. we don't know how that path is going to go. He said, mm. you're going to have trouble. You, you're not promised the easy life. And, and mm. I think um, the metaphor of the storms of life is a great one because a lot of us feel like our boats are taken on water, right? We're just wow. rocking right now and going, where's yes. God? Why is he asleep? And he's like, nobody's in control. And so super grateful for Tony Evans because I think it's a great word for those people Entering 2022 with the same weariness, the same fears, the same anxiety that they went, that they left 2021 with. The story of Jesus in the boat, it always makes me think of two things. One, when my kids were little and Brian, when your kids were little, I'm sure Mm -hmm. they did the same thing. There would be an actual storm outside, like a thunderstorm outside. Mm -hmm. And my kids would come running into our bedroom 
scared out of their minds. And then they would just be like, can we sleep in here? And so it would be like, okay, come on, you know, and they make a little pallet on the floor next to our bed and they fall asleep. And what I, what I always was so blown away with, um, by that was that the storm didn't stop. Like there's still lightning, there's still thunder. It's still scary. It's still loud. But simply by being in our presence, simply by being closer to us, our kids could peacefully go to sleep. Like something about that proximity. And I feel like that is just such a metaphor for life with Jesus. Like when we are proximate with our father and close Mm. to him, then even though like Dr. Tony Evans is preaching, the storm is raging and it is, we can have peace. We can rest. We can trust that God is in control, that God has got us, that God is taking care of us. And therefore we can sleep. I other, I think the other thing that's like wildly ironic about this story in scripture is that just a few chapters later, when Jesus is literally about to face death, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, like lamenting, crying, mourning, the disciples fall asleep on that's him. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Like, that's right. You know, we're such frail human beings. We get mad at Jesus thinking that he's fallen asleep on us, but literally we're the ones who fall asleep on God. And yet there's mercy for us and there's goodness for us and there's kindness for yeah. us because Jesus bore the cross for us. I love that picture you paint of our kids when, mm. when we have kids and they come running to you in the midst of a storm because, or you know, I remember having stages maybe where one or two of my kids were uh, scared of the dark, right? And then they'd come running to you in the midst of a storm or the darkness. And like you said, they would fall asleep. And it always struck me. It's still dark. The storm is still going on. None of that has stopped, but it's this power of presence. But they're now by mom and dad who they Mm -hmm. trust with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful picture of how we can go to our heavenly father. The storm is still there. The promise is not necessarily he's going to calm every storm or take away every storm or whatever else. But the presence of God in our lives, that is the promise. Uh, and we can rest in that and we can take confidence and kind of persevere because there's no promise that 2022 is going to be easy. In fact, the promise seems to be it's going to be hard. Right. Uh, but we can keep going knowing that God is present and we can just kind of persevere with that truth. Mm, so good, Brian. Well, we hope that that word encourages you as you start off your new year this week. Can't even believe it's already 2022. And thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.